The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house, sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler. Usually join alongside my co-host, Aaron Murray, but I am rolling solo today on this episode of the Quarantine Chronicles. Happy May. Happy Friday. That's right. We're still stuck inside, but the weather has been beautiful. It seems like there is finally some light at the end of the tunnel of this self-isolation quarantine period due to the coronavirus pandemic. When that will end, we don't know, but it seems like it should surely be sooner rather than later. wanted to fire up a podcast today, talk about a few things that I think are top of mind, that I think are interesting to most of our listeners, and get everybody caught up to date on what has been going on in the world of sports, specifically today. In the world of collegiate athletics, college football, and what to expect this fall. Be sure to follow us on social media at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me at Drew Butler. What do I want to talk about today? Well, the NFL draft was last week. I'll give you my quick thoughts on that, specifically where the Georgia Bulldog players went and why they may have gone where they went. I want to talk about SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey saying what I have been echoing this entire time, and that is that, yeah, league unity would be great as far as playing college football this fall, but it may not be necessary. Love hearing him say that. You might have noticed that last week the NCAA's Board of Governors approved what seems to be a name, image, and likeness compensation ruling that should happen next year. I'll give you my thoughts on that as well. Let's dive right into it. Okay, the NFL draft was last week. A lot of people tuned in. It was the virtual draft. First things first, hats off to ESPN. I was extremely pessimistic on how it would go. I thought there would be way too many technical difficulties. I thought it would be weird. I thought it would be way too choppy, not interesting, but they proved me wrong. The first 15 minutes of Thursday night's first round, that was pretty brutal. Was not sure what we were watching. All they talked about was the pandemic. It was just a barrage of bad news, but once the picks got underway, it was fun to watch. It was definitely cool to see the coaches in their homes. It was fun to see the players in their given situations as well. And then everybody loves the draft. I mean, it's just good news after good news. People get to go to new experiences, Great teams get better players, and it's fun to see where your favorite college athletes head to the NFL. Georgia, of course, was expecting 
a huge NFL draft class. I think one of the biggest surprises was Andrew Thomas going in the top five. A lot of people had him around that 10 to 15 range, maybe even eighth or ninth overall. But being selected fourth overall by the New York Giants was huge and, and great for him. So cool to see the first offensive tackle off the board. Head to the New York Giants. Congratulations to Andrew Thomas. And I think I saw a statistic that it was the first time in NFL draft history that the first two tackles taken off were from the same college team. I'm not sure if it was the first two tackles, but two tackles from the same college team taken in the first round. I believe that was the statistic with Isaiah Wilson going in the first round to the Tennessee Titans. Great for him. Great for Sam Pittman, former offensive line coach at Georgia, and now the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. He had another offensive lineman go in the fourth round, Solomon Kinley. I mean, it's unbelievable. This guy recruits at an extremely high level, develops that talent into NFL prospects, and then they get drafted. That's huge. That will certainly serve him well at Arkansas. Jake Fromm, the big story, right? Jake Fromm slips all the way to the fifth round, heads to the Buffalo Bills. Why? Why did he leave early? Why did he slip to the fifth round? Did this decision come back to bite him? You know what? This entire process was so unique from the aspect of the pandemic hitting right after the combine. Did Jake have the best combine? All reports said no. Did people expect him to have a stellar combine? Probably not, right? I mean, Jake never had the biggest arm, which is what you're supposed to uh, display while in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. Jake does not have blazing fast speed, which is another thing that can get you above other prospects at the NFL Combine. Where Jake was going to impress the most was in these private workouts. And when these private workouts happen, coaches come into your college town, They take you out to dinner the night before. You show up to the facility in the morning. You break down a ton of tape. Does that sound like something that Jake Fromm would have impressed at? There's no question about it. They want to get to know who you are as a human being. They want to get to know who you are as a teammate. How are you going to break down film? How studious are you? How do you understand the game? They're going to throw crazy questions at you. They're going to put you in uncomfortable situations. They want to see how you manage those said situations and then they'll go out on the field and they'll put you through a workout which they want to see specifically again it only takes one team we talked to many people over the past few months about Jake Fromm's NFL prospects and I think given the circumstances of a usual pre-draft evaluation process Jake would have gone before the fifth round that did not happen he slips to the fifth round to the Buffalo Bills is it a good situation for him Maybe. I mean, Josh Allen is pretty reckless as a starting quarterback, loves to run around, throws his body all over the field. Sure, he's prone to get hurt, and I think Jake is a great prospect for a guy that can take over in-game or handle those necessary difficulties through a four- or five-week stretch. That's exactly what he can do. Now, in Buffalo, late in the year, my own buddy Aaron Murray, your co-host right here on Punt and Pass, has said that could provide some difficulties for him with his smaller hand size. That proved to be the case this past year in Athens in a couple of rain, wind, wet games. But he goes to the fifth round. He obviously had no control over the situation that happened with the coronavirus pandemic, shutting down everything across NFL operations. 
you know what, those silver linings, I think this could be a good situation for him and and for a quarterback, let's be honest. Okay, you want the second contract. It's not really important where you're drafted unless you're a top 10 first-round pick. I don't think Jake was expecting a first-round draft pick. He'll be just fine. He'll probably end up being one of the backups that signs a massive contract after having a lot of success over a short week's few period as the backup who takes care of business. That's what Jake has done at every level, and I'm sure he'll be able to do it in the NFL. Other players drafted. DeAndre Swift to the Detroit Lions. Great to see him go early in the second round. United with Matthew Stafford, Georgia's starting quarterback up there for the Detroit Lions. Charlie Warner, damn good dog. Hook him, Charlie. He gets picked uh, by the San Francisco 49ers. Tay Crowder, Mr. Irrelevant, going up to the New York Giants. New York Giants have a nice little stable of Georgia Bulldogs up in the Meadowlands. Will be fun to follow them. And then I think the other really big surprise was Rodrigo Blankenship. Rodrigo has been a guest on the Quarantine Chronicles, a fan favorite, a cult hero in Athens. He won the Lou Groza Award last year as the nation's best place kicker. He was an All-American, first-team All-American last year, and a first-team academic All-American, and he ended up going undrafted. And three kickers were drafted before him. I'll just tell you right now, from personal experience, this is eerily similar to what I went through. I was not drafted. I I went undrafted. Was I expecting to be drafted? Absolutely, 100%. Here's the big difference between Rodrigo and my experience. I had a normal pre-draft evaluation process. Blair Walsh and I were coming out the same exact year. We had 10 private workouts. 10 different teams came to Athens and worked Blair and I out together. We got to meet with 10 special teams coordinators. We got to go get coffee, get breakfast, or get dinner the night before with 10 different special teams coordinators. Now, what does that say about me? I didn't get drafted. I don't know. Maybe I did not impress them, or maybe they didn't think who I was matched up with what I explained or showed them. But I think what the most important thing is that Rodrigo would have had a great opportunity to really show who he is and what he is capable of to a special teams coach. They want to put you through their workout. And again, you're not out there kicking 50 footballs. You get about 16 to 20 kicks, and they choose where you kick the ball. For Rodrigo, who's a place kicker, they want to see your onside kicks. They want to watch you kick off. They want to put you in situations where they're going to ask you to do things on the fly. And then, of course, they want to see how you kick with an operation on field goal. Blair and I talked about this. I talked to Blair during this entire process. And it's no secret that Blair did not have the senior season that he wanted at Georgia in 2011, but he got drafted in the sixth round by the Minnesota Vikings because I promise you, over those 10 workouts in Athens, I don't think I saw Blair miss a field goal. He was absolutely nails every single workout. And Coach Mike Prefer loved it. Boom, he gets drafted, Pro Bowl, All-Pro, his first rookie year, and set a couple of NFL records as well. That's what it takes. It takes the opportunity to get a chance to show out and show off your talent to a special teams coordinator. Did the other kickers get that opportunity who were drafted? No, they didn't. And why they were chosen ahead of Rodrigo, I don't know. Nobody will ever know, but Rodrigo signed an undrafted free agent deal with the Indianapolis Colts. I think that's a great fit for Rodrigo. It's indoors. It's in a great 
conference. You get nine games a year indoors, eight, of course, being at home in Indianapolis, and another one in Houston against the Texans. And then your other two away games are in Jacksonville. That seems to be pretty friendly. And Tennessee, of course, a friendly kicking stadium as well. You know, I know it wasn't how Rodrigo expected this to go. I'm sure he thought he was going to get drafted maybe even fourth or fifth round. I mean, the first kicker went off the board in the fifth round. But it's not about how you start. It's about what you do with it. I mean, I went to the Steelers. I had never even talked to the Steelers. They started calling me late in the sixth round, seventh round, said, hey, we might take you with a pick. If not, we want you to come compete. And that's what I did, and uh, it worked out pretty well for me. There's no doubt that it will work out for Rodrigo Blankenship. Jake Fromm and Rodrigo, yeah, they fell, and uh, I think they both ended up in good situations, and it leads me really to my next talking point, which is news that broke this past week. The NCAA's Board of Governors have approved preliminary guidelines for name, image, and likeness compensation to student-athletes in the 2021 year. All right, I I have honestly been – Following this very closely, one, how is it going to happen? Two, how will it be policed? Three, what does the fine print say? And four, this is pretty interesting timing, right? I mean, the world is shut down. Everybody's bugged out with the coronavirus pandemic. Everybody is self-quarantining. Congress isn't even in session, okay, unless it's for stimulus voting, and they're just going to throw this under the rug and say, hey, NCAA, here you go. Here's some, uh, here's some legislation on name, image, and likeness compensation. A little bit fishy, for sure, the timing. I mean, I know they had no control over what's going on, but um, here is my biggest question. Okay, How is this going to work out? Ryan Skates and I talked about this briefly on a Quarantine Chronicle. You can go back through and look at it. When I was in school getting my master's. I did not get it yet, but I was in sports management master's program at Georgia. I have not graduated with my master's degree yet. I did a research study on student athletes and those who actually generate revenue for their schools. Everybody talks about the student athletes should get paid. I agree with them, but I also think that that is far too broad stroke of the spectrum of what the actual situation at hand is. Very few, very, very few student-athletes make money for their school. Joe Burrow certainly made money for LSU last year. Jake Fromm and Rodrigo Blankenship, yeah, they had pretty legitimate name, image, and likeness value while at Georgia. Johnny Manziel, Cam Newton, Tim Tebow. I mean, Tebow has to probably be the most valuable college athlete to ever play, I would think. All right? But you're talking about one, two, maybe five players on a great team. I mean, think about LSU last year. 15-0. Beat everybody's ass that they played. Who had name, image, and likeness branding opportunity? North of six figures. Okay, a lot of guys, sure, can go sign autographs at a car dealership can sign a a deal with a grocery store or a local restaurant and make a little bit of money. But let's think about the guys who could have really raked it in last year. Justin Jefferson, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, right? I mean, mean, who else? Grant Delpit on the defensive side of the ball? Any other names really pop into your head for gigantic marketing deals? No. And that brings me to this. Group licensing versus self 
individual licensing when it comes to these name, image, and likeness deals. Group licensing is jerseys. It's video games. I don't think that is workable in college sports. In the NFL, for example, when you join the league, you will become a part of the union if you choose to buy into it. If you do a one-off, hey, I'm going to go... I'm going to go judge a chili cook-off, me, and I'm going to get paid 250 bucks for it. I get $250. If six or more guys who are under NFL contracts and who are a part of the union judge that chili cook-off, that is considered a group licensing deal, and that revenue gets split among the entire union. Think about trading cards. Think about jerseys. Think about the Madden video game. All of those revenues are split among the union, and union members get a pretty nice check every September. That's not doable in college sports. How are you going to split it up? Are you only going to split it up against college football players? What about the basketball team? There's way less college basketball players than there is football players. What about the non-revenue sports like girls soccer? Do they get a cut? They surely aren't bringing in any revenue. What about the equestrian team at Georgia? They've got like 60 girls on the roster. Do they get a cut? They're not bringing in any revenue. I don't think group licensing has the opportunity to work in college sports. Thus, I think individual licensing will be the way forward, and I think it will be a rude awakening for a lot of student-athletes. I also think it's a great introduction into the real world. I mean, people who are listening to this who aren't in college, who are in the workforce right now, know that you get paid based upon your value and your worth to said organization. The backup punter is not going to get any endorsement deals, okay? The backup quarterback probably is not going to get any endorsement deals. But last year, Rodrigo Blankenship would have gotten a lot of endorsement deals. Jake Fromm, after that game in Notre Dame in 2017, you could make the argument that Jake Fromm was the most popular person in the state of Georgia for the next two and a half years, and he did not get to make any money off of it. I think name, image, and likeness should certainly be allowed for student athletes, but on an individual basis. How do you police that? Okay, people are saying, are you going to allow these kids to have agents? And should the agents have to report to the NCAA? No chance, right? I mean, come on. If you are allowed to hire an agent as a student athlete and still maintain quote-unquote amateurism, that's a complete collapse of the system. The NCAA will not allow that. All right, what about third-party businesses? I'm looking at some fine print right now. Darren Heitner, who's a great follow on Twitter, he's a former sports agent and a sports legal consultant. He says this, within the 31 pages of the NCAA's NIL recommendations, this little tidbit that certain categories, including shoe and apparel companies, might be off-limits for college athletes. What a joke, he adds. Maybe the NCAA didn't think people would read through this. It says it right here. Recommended areas of regulation of newly permitted NIL activities, whether certain categories of third-party businesses, i.e. athletics, shoe, and apparel companies, should be precluded from facilitating recruiting or other rules and fractions. Essentially saying, Jake Fromm could not have been a Nike athlete or do any Nike branding while in college. I mean, that's ridiculous. These are the, these are the actual companies that have the money and the marketing scope to make these types of deals happening. I, I think this there's just so much that has to go into this. And yes, this will have to be sweeping legislation. 
all of these rules will have to be applicable within each of the 50 states. You have to make it even across every single state. State by state won't work because then the recruiting aspect will fall into, I would rather go to a school in California because they offer it, and this school in South Carolina does not, X, Y, Z. Bottom line is this. It should be individualized. It should be based on meritocracy. Agents will not be allowed to be involved because that essentially threatens amateurism, and you have to blow the doors wide open, I think, given that it does not intervene with the university's standing advertising relationships. I think that's going to be a huge part of it, and what I mean by that is this, and I keep going back to Jake Fromm because, again, it's very topical and top of mind. George, obviously, is a Delta-branded school. When Kirby does his coaching press conferences, you see the Delta signage behind him. If you're in Sanford Stadium on a Saturday, you see Delta signage everywhere. I highly doubt the university or the NCAA would allow United Airlines to pay Jake Fromm $150,000 to be a United Airlines ambassador. I just don't think that's going to happen. There will be regulations, but I think there is a way to keep everything above board, to make sure there's no conflict of interest, and to see the value of a true meritocracy system where guys can get, and girls, of course, can get compensated for their name, image, and likeness. A lot to do in the next couple of months because they want to have this proposed in January of 2021, ready to roll by summer of 2021. I've got a lot of thoughts on it. I've done a lot of research on it. Let me know. If you want to talk about it, hit me up on Twitter, at Drew Butler at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. Last thing, and maybe the best thing, I continue to say it, but there seems to be light at the end of the tunnel with the pandemic. When are sports coming back? Seems like it's going to be sooner rather than later. Every single day, new leagues are putting their tentative schedules out. And I think the benefit of it is there was even a press conference at the White House, and you can take that for whatever you want, but a scientist got up there and talked about how coronavirus, had how COVID-19 does not live well in temperatures above 75 degrees Fahrenheit, does not live well in humidity, does not do well when it hits ultraviolet light, a.k.a. sunlight, does not do well when presented with disinfectant. Obviously, everybody's hearing about the antibody testing as well. A lot of people had to have it, had had coronavirus, didn't even know it, and now maybe some herd immunity could be developing over the next couple of months. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I'm just telling you what I've read. But SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey said something yesterday that I have been saying since this entire thing happened. League unity not necessary for the continuing of college football this fall. Would it be nice? Sure. Yeah, they'd be great if every single school and every single league had to play football this fall. But is it necessary? Probably not. What does that mean? Unlike how March Madness folded when teams said, we're not going to participate. Duke said, we're not going to participate. Gonzaga, no, we're not going to participate. And then all the dominoes fall. I highly doubt, and due to the dollars that comes in through college football, that if one school said, Stanford said, nope, we're not going to play. And then Florida State said, nope, we're not going to play either. I highly doubt the 125 other FBS schools would shut it down as well. I keep going back to the podcast, the Quarantine Chronicles episode with Ryan Skates, because we talked about this at length. There's far too much money at stake. 
You're talking about academic institutions that are upheld by the revenue brought in by college football. The entire system could collapse if college football does not happen. When will it happen? Could it be postponed till October? Sure it could, but university presidents are coming out saying, look, we're going to have students on campus in fall. We're planning on it. As far as their projections of what's going to happen over the summer months, they are planning on students being back on campus in the fall. And a lot of athletic directors have said, if students are back on campus in the fall, we're probably going to have football. What if students aren't on campus in the fall? What would that look like? Would it be an exploitation of student-athletes to come back to school? I don't necessarily think so. I had an article sent to me last week, a great Sports Illustrated article, that detailed the dire straits that some of these student-athletes are in now that they're not allowed to be on campus. A couple of Ole Miss football players talked about how they don't have enough money to even buy food. They're not getting their scholarship checks. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They don't have Wi-Fi at their houses. you got to think about that. There's more than just... These student-athletes aren't getting paid. We should pay them, and they can't play if school's not in session. There's more than that. A lot of these kids do not come from the best situations. A lot of these kids don't have great situations to go back to. A lot of these kids' families have been laid off, have been furloughed. This is a widespread pandemic that reaches and spreads a net farther than you could ever imagine. Do you think the kids... A lot of kids who are at home in not good situations, don't have anywhere to work out, don't have anywhere to get good nutrition, can't even log on to their phones or their computers because the Wi-Fi is crappy at their homes. You think they don't want to be back on campus? I think that they probably would, and I think their teammates would as well. These guys want to play sports. They want to get back to regular life. I think college football is certainly looking good for the fall. There's no doubt about it. College football is looking good for the fall, and SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey says it right here. League unity not necessary. If there's a couple of programs that aren't able to, does that stop everyone? I'm not sure it does. Of course, he has the ability for them to stay connected will remain important. Well, that's about it. That's all I have for today. I just wanted to get those couple of thoughts off my chest. I think they're interesting talking points. I think they're going to be fun to watch develop over the next few weeks. I am just hoping and praying everybody is staying safe, staying healthy, and continuing to remain positive because we need sports back. We need normal lives back. And hopefully, as states continue to reopen, quote-unquote, that the numbers don't spike back up and we can slowly get back to some sort of normalcy. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Punt and Pass. Follow me on Instagram at Drew Butler and have an awesome weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Got a couple of guests for some quarantine chronicles that I have been chasing down. And I think I've got one for sure next week. Try them for two. If not, though, we'll continue these quarantine chronicles and let you guys know what is going on. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. See you.